Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line podcast, brought to you by AES Drilling Fluids. Matt, how are you today? Doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much. Sort of going down the list and we're in a series of, of kind of, hey, something happens. What do you do next? I think it's very relevant and some certainly some good takeaways for mud engineers on the rig and really anyone else who's kind of interested on when, when things happen outside the norm, what we as mud engineers do and are expected to do. And this one, we're going to talk about tool failure, Matt. So to kind of start things off, Matt, how would you describe a tool failure? What does that mean, first and foremost? And then we can go from there. Well, you know, I mean, it could depend on any number of things. And I know we've done an episode on tool compatibility, but I don't know if we focused on some of the things that we're going to get into here. But, you know, sometimes it can start off with just an indicator of something being wrong. Like we can't, we don't come out of the hole, but there's a signal issue or we see a big loss in pressure you know, some, some strange pressures while circulating. It could be that the tool plugged off or perhaps my favorite, there's rubber material going across the shakers, AKA the stators on the directional motor, you know, something down hole broke basically. And we know that we're probably gonna have to come out of the hole, replace that piece of equipment. And unfortunately, you know, what's the response from any of those tool providers? Well, you know, the only thing we did was pump mud through it. So the only thing it could possibly be is something that is in the mud, right? Exactly. And so these are probably some of those frustrating because all of a sudden everyone's a mud engineer at the rig. They've all got theories of varying levels of merit. None of them have evidence. And so I I think the goal is, you know, for our folks, you know, as AES, we're going to be very candid about what we know and what we don't know. And, you know, when we don't think it's, you know, an issue for us, we're going to say that. And if it could have been something that, you know, is associated with an activity or, or something that we could have been involved with, we'll say that too, but we just want the information. And so it's one of those, the main thing I try and tell a lot of our field folks is, look, I'll defend you to the fullest. I just need the information to do it. I'm not just going to wander out there and tell them how great of a person you are and how you have your act together. Let's show them. Let's show how you know, everything was in spec and and we were doing the right things when this event occurred. Yes, no, that's exactly right. And, and it's, it's, there's obviously a common theme uh, amongst a lot of episodes is, is the more information, the better. So we're going to kind of beat that until, until we can't anymore, which is probably going to be forever, <laughs> you know, because it's interesting because, you know, years ago, there was only so much information you could access you know, now with different types of technologies and platforms, everything else, there's more things. Now, granted, you've always been able to do a mud check, you know, check the cuttings, send samples, but, you know, as time evolves and things evolve, there's, there's just more and more information that, you know, us as mud engineers and mud companies are almost sometimes expected to know. And so it's always good to be learning more about just subsurface operations and, and really what's going on to be part of a solution instead of just standing back and waiting to be told what to do. Cause no one wants to, you know, no one hires us to, for them to have to tell us what to do. So just being proactive, collecting information and, and, you know, going about our business that way. Matt, so what would be the first thing if, you know, you have a tool failure and all of a sudden you can't drill and okay, well, we're going to have to probably come out of the hole wet. 
at that point, well, what should we do next? I mean, I would say immediately get a mud sample and start a mud check. And that's, you know, have mud that you can send into the lab that's a representative sample. And I'll add this, if the directional company goes to get a sample, go with them and get the sample at the same time from the same place. Right. More than once, they've caught a sample from the flow line that was full of cuttings. They've There's all these other habits and behaviors where it's like, well, that's not where you get a, a representative sample. And the data that they provide when they go have a mud check run with a third party or whatever is definitely not going to match. Mm-hmm. Good point. So get a mud sample, you know, preserve it, mark it, send it in, and then go ahead and start your own mud check. And you know, just make sure that everything's where we'd expect it to be for the program. Or if you're having issues, make a note of that. But, you know, the other thing is what were there signs of issues before we even got started, right? So we got on bottom and you're having signal issues, but we go ahead and drill ahead. And then later on, we lose communication with the tool. Well, okay, maybe that tool wasn't ready to go from from the beginning. It, It passed a surface test, but something maybe happened earlier on before we even started drilling ahead, things like that. So like the, those signs of issues, but then also, you know, what kind of drilling activity was taking place? Were you reaming any of those kinds of things? And then of course, if you're encountering encountering drilling issues, you know, let's face it, LCM can plug tools. I mean, we argue with directional guys all the time about, is this going to plug your tool or not? Well, (laughs) It's very difficult to define what's going to plug a tool because we don't know the flow path in their tools. And they just say that anything that goes through our tool can plug it. And so it's almost like a negotiation without a quantitative definition. So if you're going on losses, if you're pumping sweeps of material, you know, you want to make sure that stuff is mixed properly. That's really important. But the other thing that, you know, we want to know is, wow, were we going pretty aggressive because we had some pretty severe losses? Like, were we kind of leaning towards possibly plugging off a tool with how, how much lost circulation material we were applying? So if you had losses and then you plug a tool, you know, those things can relate to one another. And, and the hard part is nobody can tell you what their tool can actually accept or not. They don't, there's not a great definition for nut plug medium. There's just mm-hmm. lots of people selling nut plug and calling it medium size. Right. And then, you know, similarly, there's just these scenarios of we have, you know, some customers are very committed to high flow rate tools. They want to pump as hard as they can. And guess what? Those tools don't plug nearly as often, but they cost more. So people, not everyone uses them, you know, smaller tools, you know, smaller hole sizes, more likely to plug. There's a chance of it. So just, yeah, was anything going on where we could have been introducing material to the fluid that could have created some problems going back to that mud check? Were you having issues with solids control equipment? Were your solids running up? You know, did you, were you seeing other bad signs like were swabs washing out? Hopefully you raised some alarm bells long before, but those are, you know, signs of a bigger problem to come. Right. And and I wanted to add to that. And that's a very good point is, is if you start to notice things. And one thing that and I'll admit as a mud engineer, I didn't relay quite as much as I should have is when you're catching samples, if you got cuttings in your sample cup or when you go take a sample and you're running it through your funnel and there's you know cuttings on your screen that means that there's cuttings and large just trash getting from the shakers into your suction pit and so if you start seeing cuttings in the suction pit tell someone like asap you don't have to run around frantic but say hey i'm starting to notice some of this you know and 
then that goes back to, okay, let go, go up the pit system. Look at your shaker screens. Are you, do you have holes in your shaker screens? Or maybe you've got like a bypass open or your equalizer is too low or just, you know, give a look around. Cause there's sometimes, <laughs> I mean, I was a rig hand too. You start turning valves and doing things for no absolute reason. Cause you think what you're doing is should be adding or it should be helping when really you may be doing something good for your driller, but it's not necessarily helping us as mud engineers. So you just, you never know. And so, you know, take a look around, do your investigation. Cause it could be something simple that could plug a tool. And it's like, Oh, the equalizer was down. So everything going bypassing the shakers now somehow lands in your suction pit. So there's just, I mean, a world of things can happen. And out there, I think oftentimes we're just as much private investigators as we are mud engineers trying to <laughs> investigate and find the missing clue, if you will. So yeah, just again, relay information. If you see something out of the norm, relay it to you know, whoever you feel is necessary, typically the driller, coming man, tool pusher, whatever. And Matt, one thing too, I was going to ask is we mentioned catching samples almost all the time when anything happens. Is there a certain, should we always be taking it out of the suction pit or like, where's a good spot? And again, we don't want to necessarily say this is exactly where you do it. And then someone does it and gets ourselves in a bind. But I guess going back, make sure you label where you're taking the sample from. And then like Matt said, if someone wants to take a sample from say, you know, cause a lot of times folks out on the rig that aren't mud engineers, they just think mud's mud. And so they may take it from, they might take it from the possum belly. And then they, they call that a representative sample when, you know, us in the mud industry know it's absolutely not. So again, just, just making sure that's, you know, comparing apples to apples, making sure, you know, samples are getting taken from the right place. And that may be a call to the office say, Hey, where do you want me to catch, catch a sample from? Cause there may be other, information we're trying to capture upstream in the circulating system rather than just a suction pit. So just make sure everyone's on the same page, I think is really my point on that one. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting because there are times when we do want a sample from the flow line or we want a sample from the shaker underflow or, you know, even just centrifuge effluent. Like it just depends on what we're looking for. The most obvious scenario is where whatever you're reporting on your mud check is the, the mud sample we want, right. unless we tell you otherwise, which would be in a suction pit. But, you know, certainly there's exceptions to all of that. And sometimes we'll want more than one. Yes. Good point. Matt, did we talk about getting samples after teardown or had we touched on that yet? We hadn't gotten on that. And that's, ah. I mean, that's a big one is, look, it's not very often that we're actually sent a teardown report when the, but you know, when they go to lay down these tools, if there's material that's plugging things up, get a sample of it and send it in as quickly as possible. We've actually been able to run X-ray diffraction, identify metal fragments that were plugging a tool for a customer in the Northeast before they went back in the hole. So we were able to, you know, diagnose what was plugging it. It turned out it was kind of a funky tool and had something that was breaking down. And, you know, of course the directional company had decided it was everything we were putting in the mud and we were able to demonstrate that wasn't the case. So I don't know, anything you can get that's plugging the tool that went, either when they take it apart or that was just packed off in there that you can get to when they're laying down the tools, get any other samples. I mean, if you have those chunks of rubber from the shakers, if you have, you know, if there's pictures because something looks washed out or corroded, like mm-hmm. even sometimes if you, you can see certain types of corrosion just by looking at a picture of something. So Anything that you are able to provide that the customer is okay with, that the whoever's providing the tools, you know, doesn't say, oh, that's that's mine. Or we can just say, look, please save that. And in our investigation later, if you don't want us analyzing it, we can get it analyzed at a third party. But like 
you know, if, if there's a certain type of scale or something from a corrosion issue, like let's characterize that. Let's figure out what that's made of because it could be our chemicals reacting with something down hole. So anyways, anything you can get that's a sample and then any information you can gather on the teardown report. I mean, my favorite, I'm going to say my favorite, I say that very cynically as usual, but you know, <laughs> every, every X-ray diffraction analysis that we run is going to show that there is bayrite in the tool. That should not be a surprise. That is right. probably not what plugged the tool. The reason it's detecting bayrite is because bayrite is on everything if you're using a weighted mud. And because it is a solid material, it, let's say you plugged off a tool. What is it? It's the solids that were in the mud, whether that's broken up tool parts from you know, further up in the BHA along with bayrite, along with drilled solids. But it's going to show up in a large quantity, and that's expected, but that doesn't make it a culprit. But I mean, all that being said, you know, the more information we can gather there, you know, the better off we are. You know, my frustration is I think there's sort of this, and I'll say it, there's an opportunity to say, oh, it's the mud company's fault, and then go kind of look around and, oh, how many hours did we have on this tool? Or what were so, you know, was it redressed properly? And like those questions aren't even answered. It sort of just buys you time when you blame the mud. And hopefully right. everyone forgets by the time you know, anyone's held to account, but the more information we can share, we can actually keep this from happening again. It's just frustrating where it's in many ways as a, as a mud company, I feel like it's incumbent upon us to prove that it's not us just as much, you know, more so than it is to prove it's something else. And that's frustrating, but it is what it is. And so, you know, for our mud engineers out there, I mean, the more information you can feed back, the more we can wrap our heads around what happened and the more we can get an honest to goodness answer so that it doesn't happen again. And certainly that we don't have to, you know, no one can disparage your good name. So <laughs> that's exactly right. And holding up a good reputation is always something we strive for. So Matt, that was a great little episode. Again, I think operationally, it hopefully answers a lot of questions and gives food for thought for folks out on the rig. If this does happen to them, how to approach it and what kind of information we're looking for. And as always, if you have any other questions or thoughts, you can reach out LinkedIn, or you can hit us up at the Flowline podcast at aesfluids.com. Matt, before we log off here, any closing last words for the crew? I would say the last thing is rigs can be great gossip circles. So, you know, no way. just as much as we want all this, you know, data and samples to analyze, you know, have a walk around and just, you know, Hey, anybody know anything about what's going on? And, and just say, well, well, we think it's this, or yeah. that could be a clue that may never make it back to the office without your help. Right. Yep. Be inquisitive and yeah, stay curious. That's a, that's a great point, Matt. All right. Well, everyone, you have a good day. Be safe and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.